Hello, welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrantz and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome everybody to tonight's The Dash Radio Show. And tonight we have Peter Mingles, my fabulous co-host, and a wonderful, wonderful guest that I'm all excited about and I'm going to let Peter introduce. That sounds great. Well, first of all, thanks for everybody for being here. My name is Peter Mingles. We're going to have Jim Turner on the line in a second. But as we get started, let's talk a little bit about The Dash. When Dawn and I decided to do something like this, which was in December, we started to format the concept that we wanted to be able to spread the word, the more people spreading the word about really cool things relative to home-based business, fulfilling their life, self-development, making a difference. All of those types of things are what we're all about. So we're talking about filling your dash, the stuff between your date of birth and your whatever ending that might be, and that little space in between that only most of the people that are really close to you know what that means to you. What can we do to possibly fulfill this? And what you'll find is we're uh, entrepreneurs, we're evangelists, we're all those kinds of things relative to helping people add a more fulfilling life. And I've got to share with you, the topics we're going to be talking about today, I was not educated. Hey, by the way, I think I hear a little bit of background noise, so if we've got a little bit of background noise, we have to shut some stuff off. But anyway, so back to this concept of everything in between. When I first got started with home-based businesses, um, even though I was a biology major in school, chemistry, I don't remember if I had a major or a minor. All I know is I had to take a lot of chemistry. I do know I have a French, ma- a French minor which I haven't used recently, by the way, except for maybe ordering at a restaurant. But when I went to um, college, they didn't teach me a lot about health and nutrition, even though I was in biology and chemistry. And when I first started to find out about the nutrition industry and the things related to that is when I joined with a company that is no longer around called Nutrition for Life. And when I was with that company that was founded by two really great people and a whole bunch of other really great marketers, I had learned that I couldn't say certain things about certain things. And I know that sounds kind of vague. But if it was like, wow, somebody has arthritis, and I would say maybe you should try to take this because it helps with arthritis or maybe something related to weight loss or maybe something relative to memory or maybe something relative to pain, all of a sudden I felt that I had shackles on me, why I could or couldn't say different or various things. And I found out some of the reasons why, and some of the reasons why were valid in my mind, and then some of the reasons why were somewhat challenging in my mind, like I'm really not so sure why we can't say this. And then we started to look at rules and regulations. And then, remember, I was a new guy on the block, joined a company called Nutrition for Life because I assumed that if I learned more about nutrition, it would probably help myself my family and other people that were really close by. I looked at that as a side benefit and then really fell in love with the health and wellness industry as well as the financial side by being able to help push those products and services and things along that line. But in the process of all those things, I learned about things like the Deshay Act, and I learned about the FDA, and I learned about medical claims and income claims and different and various things, and I found that, you know what, I didn't know a lot of stuff about these things and we have a special guest speaker his name is Jim Turner who's been involved in this industry for a really long period of time even longer than I've been around with Nutrition for Life he's fought the wars and 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 did the battles and continuously and never endingly is pushing and focusing on health and nutrition and uh the affront if you if that's a word that seems to be against people that are pushing various and different things that might be able to help us. And with Obamacare and all of these things that are going on right now, um, and GMOs and all the things you can and can't say, I couldn't think of a better guest to have on our radio show than Mr. Jim Turner. So, Jim, I learned about who you are relative to an organization and some work that you might be doing with a friend of ours, Dr. Reg McDaniel, and that's another conference call. but could you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we're going to get into the meat of the conversation. And you can punctuate anything that I might have said as I gave you my little introduction. So go ahead, Jim. 
Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate being here, and uh, <clears throat> I certainly resonate with uh, everything you said in your opening. <clears throat> I um, actually uh, began uh, my stint in Washington, D.C. in 1968, working with Ralph Nader. I was uh, essentially the first Nader's Raider, and I was uh, I came up, uh, Ralph and I came up with the idea of uh, looking at food protection at the FDA, and I wrote a book called The Chemical Feast, The Nader Report on Food Protection at the FDA, and uh, we just found that uh, the entire uh, framework and structure that the FDA was being uh, was working in was really anti-consumer. Uh, it was it undermined health, and uh, it's just in general was an agency that um, was very much off the track in terms of what its original purpose was. And uh, as as I worked more and more in Washington over the years, uh, it became pretty clear that the entire regulatory structure. Um, has gotten way off track from what it was meant to um, be involved in, and uh, so we've been working uh, over the years to um, try to write the you know write the direction. Um, and some of the some of the victories we've had uh, are that uh, <clears throat> in 1977, uh, 1975, the Federal Trade Commission actually proposed banning the words natural, organic, and health food. And I represented five consumer groups, and there were some industry folks, and uh, a lot of a lot of opposition to that, and we actually were able to win that battle. And um, I, my argument was that banning words was, you know, against the First Amendment. You couldn't do it. And uh, we won that battle, and um, that if that hadn't been won, we would not have organic food today. Wow. In 19, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty bizarre. In 1990, uh, we were very involved, uh, myself and uh, a lot of the people I work with, in uh, helping to get the uh, Organic Food Production Act through Congress which was uh, another step in getting organic food established. Uh, another activity I got involved in was, uh, of all things, uh, getting the FDA to recognize uh, acupuncture needles. From 1971 until 1996, acupuncture needles were actually illegal in the United States. And uh, a lot of people from the acupuncture community, both uh, uh, patients or consumers of acupuncture... Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Oops, we're here. Okay. Um, I think we're still here. Hold on one second. Dawn, I don't know heard. what just happened. Hold on. <laughs> uh, let me go see if I can fix it. Well, Should I, I keep talking? I think we're still here. Yeah, so hold yeah, on one so second. I, well, well, as I was saying, that the, um, the whole idea of acupuncture and acupuncture needles was considered to be illegal from 1971 to 1996, and we put together a coalition of um, uh, needle manufacturers, uh, practitioners, and consumers, and were able to, uh, over a two-and-a-half-year struggle, get the FDA to actually recognize acupuncture needles. And uh, there's been a range of issues like that that we've been involved in over the years. And uh, the, the, the fundamental uh, reality is that um, the regulatory system uh, does not really advance the well-being of the people who it's supposed to regulate. At best, it gets some kind of a, some kind of a norm, and it says if you, if you comply with that norm, then everything's fine. Uh, but if you're um, in any way, shape, or form, you stand out as being exceptional, uh, then you're treated as if you were in some some way or another violating the law and uh, closed down, essentially. So that's that's what I've been doing, and I'm happy to talk about any of these things or any questions you have in that uh, general framework. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. But let's talk about the FDA for a second. I think if you if you polled like you know like a like the guy with the microphone on the street, and you asked people about the FDA. What, what would they say? I would imagine if someone asked me, what do you think the Food and Drug Administration does, they would probably be like, well, they make sure that the foods that I eat are safe. They, they make sure that, the, so I'm giving you my novice, if you will, not really knowing, but probably trying to just answer the question. I would probably say they probably make sure the foods that I eat are safe and the, the drugs that I take are tested, and, and they're here to kind of protect, you know, and probably somebody goes and inspects the meat factory so the E. coli thing doesn't happen very frequently. And is that more or less the beginning of the FDA and what it was standing for? And then we can talk a little bit about how it's evolved since then. Well, in, in, in some ways that's correct. I mean, first of all, just from a legal point of view, the FDA doesn't have anything to do with meat. That's all done by the Department of Agriculture. But that's the kind of, you know, kind of strange split that makes sense to regulators but doesn't seem to make sense to the public. But uh, it does. Uh, my suspicion is that if you ask people what the FDA does, uh, they would not really have much of an answer. Uh, certainly if you said FDA, 
if you said um, if you said Food and Drug Administration, uh, you would get some of the ideas that you mentioned. But again, people are not very uh, sophisticated about this this alphabet soup that goes on. I I know I was reading uh, an article um, by a fairly knowledgeable, well-educated, and and an informed person who referred to the uh, FDA as the Federal Drug Administration, Federal Drug Administration, and um, uh, it was quite surprising. Uh, now let's go back to what you described. Um, the the basic idea of the um, of the Food and Drug Administration, and it was actually created uh, as the Bureau of Chemistry in the Department of Agriculture back in 1906, and um, its basic idea was to uh, kind of uh, keep adulterants out of food, and to keep people from making false statements about food. Uh, the same was true of drugs. Um, it was called the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. And um, the idea of keeping adulterants out and making sure that people didn't um, misrepresent the facts uh, were, were fairly basic ideas. It, it was against poison and fraud. That was the, that was the notion. We're going to keep poisons away from the public through the food and drug supply and keep fraud away from the public from the, through, through the sale of the food and drugs. Um, those now have been turned into um, very, very strong um, affirmative steps that you must take. So, for example, the fraud law that said you can't lie about uh, drugs and foods uh, has been turned into you must prove to us with regard to drugs that the drugs actually uh, will, in fact, do precisely what you say they will, and you need to do several double-blind uh, placebo-controlled studies in several different species, and then in humans uh, to make that uh, be allowed to make any statement about what the drug does, and then they do this little sleight of hand that says if you make any statement that something will cure, treat, mitigate, prevent, or diagnose a disease, then it's a drug automatically. So if you say uh, this water uh, will help, and then you put a disease after it you must then treat it as a drug and you've got to do uh, uh, placebo-controlled double-blind studies. Those studies cost $100 million for per ingredient at a minimum. So now herbs uh, that come on the market, uh, some of which maybe have 500 ingredients in them, the FDA is saying you must test them $100 million per ingredient before you can make any health claims for it. Wow. And uh, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to hold on to that thought for a second because we're going to take our first commercial break, but this is a good time for people to start to think about the ramifications of what you're referencing right now about what you can and can't say about things like, you know, what, an herb like garlic or maybe something like whatever, you know, uh, echinacea, uh, some of the other stuff that's out there and things along that line. So we're going to get this started. Axel is our man that spins our dials. So Axel, go ahead, turn us on, and we're going to... Do you run a home-based business? Are you looking under every rock for your next superstar diamond in the rough? Are you looking for leads in all the wrong places? Look no more. If you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you know you need the right tools in place to run your online business effectively. If you're brand new at your business and you are looking for top-notch training that will take you and your sales team to the next level. For email marketing, autoresponders, lead management systems, and more. Network Leads is what you need to prospect, communicate, manage, and support your customers and sales organizations. Just go to www.networkleads.com forward slash the dash radio and register for your free lead management system today. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.the-radioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we're back. We have Jim Turner as our special guest. Jim, sorry to cut you off. You were talking to us about the the limitations, if you will, of the, I'm going to say free speech, your ability to kind of say whatever you think might you, you might be thinking or whatever you think might be true for you, and then the limitations of what has to happen to be able to make that claim, and the slippery slope 
of, well, this does this. Well, wait a minute, now you have to prove it. Okay, even if I did spend the money to prove it, now all of a sudden, because it, what is that, cures? I know, I know you rattled them off because it's in your head. And cures? I got to scribble this down so for okay, everybody. Okay, cures. All right, so hold on. Treats. Mitigates. You giving me prevents. way too much. You giving me way too much credit for being able to spell this out because I know. Cures, treats, mitigates. Right there we go. Cures, treats, mitigates. Prevents. Prevents. Or diagnosis. Or diagnosis. Now, if you're in network marketing, or you're promoting a product or service, I think you probably need to know those. So it just rattles off your tongue. So you need to know those. You need yep. to know those, and it's important not to do any of that. So for all of the people that might be grabbing um, pens and paper, and for all the company owners that might be listening to this that say, you know, I think I'm learning something here, you probably want to grab your pens and you probably want to listen to this again. So last time, it's – go ahead, Jim, I'll let you uh, it's, it. It's cures, treats, mitigates, prevents, or diagnoses any disease. Got it. Uh, where did we get that uh, little definition from? It's actually in the food and drug law itself. Um, and uh, the the problem is that uh, it the the way that the definition is written, it says anything that is intended for one of those five reasons is considered to be a drug, and then anything that is um, uh, considered to be a drug must go through drug testing before you can actually make the claim. Now, there are some foods, there are some food claims that you are allowed to make, a handful, that require pretty much the same kind of testing to be allowed to make this, these food claims. And that was the result of some congr- you know, big congressional action that was underway in 1990, and it was the, um, uh, the Nutrition, Nutrition Education and Labeling Act of 1960. Uh, I'm sorry, of 1990. Uh, and uh, that was in 1990 that that happened. And the, um, the problem uh, with that particular legislation is that it did not in any way really modify the notion that the FDA had created for itself that it was the arbiter of what is healthy or not in the food area. And it's a very, um, it's a very unfortunate uh, fact of our uh, culture that the FDA has stepped into that position. And it's not only the FDA, the FTC, the FDA, the FTC, uh, some of the uh, regulators at the Department of Agriculture, uh, we're talking now in the nutrition area, um, have taken to themselves the notion that they will define what is a healthy food supply for the American people. Uh, and they will also be the arbiters of what is a safe and effective drug. Now, now the problem that happens there is that because they are very, very focused on a narrow range of what health-promoting products can be allowed on the market, they, in my opinion, are a very, very strong contributor to the enormous cost of our health care system with the relatively... Uh, insignificant effectiveness of that system. I mean, we rank number one in the world for per capita patient care, and we're somewhere in the range of 35th or 40th in the world in terms of actual uh, service provided. Uh, We have a tremendous deferential between what it costs to be in the American healthcare system versus what we actually get from that system, and I believe that a significant part of that uh, differential comes from the way that the regulators see health and drugs and health claims and the notion that uh, all herbs, for example, are drugs, uh, or at least that's the direction they're going in. Um, all of that is a very uh, undermining of both the well-being of the public and of the costs uh, and, you know, effective cost of health care, runs the cost of health care up enormously. Uh, the definition you gave us a little bit earlier about the cures, treats, mitigates, prevents, or diagnosis, is that the reason why every bottle of supplement that I take, when I look at the label of that bottle or every commercial that I read or every ad that I might see, has that little line in there that says this statement 
has not been evaluated by the FDA? Is that the reasons why all those things are on that's, there? That, that, they're connected. The law requires you to make that statement if, uh, if, you have not been, if you've not had your claim uh, substantiated or, or evaluated by the FDA. And um, those are not actually health claims. Um, there, there are claims there that are not health claims. They're what would be called structure function claims. They are claims about how the diet, and this is only on dietary supplements that you see that, but how a dietary supplement affects the structure and function of the body. And uh, a structure a structure function claim would be like there used to be an old ad that Wonder Bread had that said builds bodies 12 ways. That's a structure function by, uh, claim. It you know affects your the, the structure and functioning of your body. It's not like eliminating a disease. And the um, the uh, uh, basic warning that says, or the caution that says, these statements have not been evaluated by the FDA uh, applies to those kind of claims. Now, you were, you were talking about nutritional stuff and the definitions and how sometimes the definition itself has put something into a box that maybe it shouldn't have been. Are there any... Like, you know, not extreme examples, but any kind of like, are you kidding me, examples, whether recently or in the past. You mentioned things about, like, acupuncture needles were illegal. You know, we talked about herbs or maybe dietary supplements. Are, are there anything like, stuff like that you can give us some analogies of maybe where their definition is kind of like putting a product or a service in the wrong box? Well, um uh they uh uh they're every one of the ones that i think are odd are controversial so um uh there are there uh, they've banned cranberry juice from making claims about urinary, urinary tract health um and that <laughs> that is like a very strange thing to do but uh if you are not now let me let me make a a very uh important point here the only people who are prevented from making these statements are people who manufacture or sell the products. So oh. if I'm if I want to write a book about cranberry juice and say that it's really good for urinary tract infections, uh I can do that, no problem. But if I am selling, selling cranberry, cranberry juice, <laughs> I can't. Wow. So if I'm if I'm the cranberry juice maker, I can't say it. You if can't I'm, or or a rep who loves cranberry juice and sells it because you love the product, you sell it for a living, you can't tell people that it helps urinary yeah, tract health. You can't. And the, also prunes for regularity are another one that they went after. Um, so, uh, you know, and I'm looking at this stuff and, you know, the, this is like why does the FDA even care? Why are they involved in it? The most, the, the one that really got me when it happened, which is about 20 years ago, was a uh, – uh, there was a um, uh, statement on a number of products that said the National Cancer Institute has determined that brand can help reduce certain kinds of cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was a statement put out by the the, uh, the uh, National Cancer Institute, which is in the same department of the government as the F as the FDA, and the FDA uh, went after it and banned that statement, and. Um, the the uh the notion that they could do that was very peculiar to me but then i read a statement a, a press release from the fda that said it was about a page and a half about all the reasons why bran is not um useful for helping with cancer in spite of the national cancer institute saying so but then and they and they'd seized products from about five companies and the last paragraph said, and besides, these products had no brand in them. Now, that illustrates exactly what the FDA problem is, because I'm all for the FDA going after somebody who says they have brand in their product and it's really healthy, and they don't have brand. Mm -hmm. they, should, they should really have their knuckles wrapped, and they should be paying heavy fines and so forth. That's pure fraud. On the other hand... A statement about what the good parts of brand are. First of all, here's a federal government agency saying it's a good thing, and the FDA saying you can't make that statement and seizing products for making that st statement. Yeah, by the way, if that went to court, the FDA would win, and the FDA would trumpet around that they had won a case because there was a bunch of companies making false claims about brand. 
But that's not why they would have won the case. They would have won the case because the product didn't have any brand in it. Now, why the FDA feels it's necessary to become the world's arbiter on the health benefits of foods is beyond me. It's not of any of their business, frankly. And, uh, in fact, the uh, the remedy that I would like to see, and I'd like to hopefully find some folks who want to put together a, a project to make this happen, uh, is I would like to see the rule be that a claim that something cures a disease is a matter of opinion and therefore protected by the First Amendment. This was pretty much the decision that was made by the Supreme Court in 1911 by Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who uh, said that the law did not prevent a product from making a false claim about health because a claim about health was a matter of opinion. Um, now, Congress immediately changed the law to, uh, in 1912 to start the FDA down the slippery slope that it's gone up until now. But that is the standard that we should be using in the, um, in the current uh, debates for food. And um, hopefully we'll get back to that in the near future if we can mount the proper resources and, and, and get the people concerned. Now, Absolutely. I, as I'm listening to you talking about bran and stuff like that, I think about cereals. And I remember for a while, I'm not going to mention the name of the company. You can if you wanted to. I don't remember if it was right, but I'm going to say maybe it was a General Mills product that was saying things like cereal is going to be able to help you with your cholesterol and you're not going to have heart attacks. I didn't say it like that, but they kind of implied that. And after listening to this conversation, I would be like, did the lawyers for that company miss this call? Or did they do it anyway? Because it sounded almost as if they were making a claim, like if well, you ate I, more Cheerios. Well, I think that I think that uh, uh, the claims may be just slightly off kilter what you're saying, but I believe that what you're alluding to is Quaker Oats. Okay. Because they had a long-standing battle with the FDA where they made claims. They had dozens of uh, scientific studies supporting the claims, and uh, the FDA took the position that uh, it didn't matter whether there were studies supporting the claims or not, they, um, the, any, no claims for, for health for food were allowed. None. Zero. If you, if you put the word a disease and the word health in the same sentence, that was by, by law a violation. And that was uh, the law basically until 1990. And the uh, and and Quaker was making those the statements that created that controversy uh, right at that point. Uh, and and we're, uh, we're going to come back and clarify that right after this little break over here because I want to touch on that for a second. And Dawn's got something she wants to bring up as well. So Axel's going to be spinning some circles for us. Go ahead, Axel. Are you in a run about your taxes? No more with this simple template. Your business deserves the best, and so do you. Try our simple bookkeeping formula. You'll look organized, find your receipts, and you might even get a write-off. One thing is for sure, you'll thank us. Visit bit.ly forward slash the dash taxes. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash D-A-S-H taxes. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronx and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on Facebook.com forward slash The Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. We are back. We have um, my name is Peter Mingles. We have Jim Turner. Dawn is going to be on with us, asking some questions in a moment or so. But we were talking a little bit about you know the the concept of using the word health and disease kind of like in the same sentence. And even though you had studies that were funded probably by legitimate organizations that could kind of substantiate maybe some of the claims, you still couldn't use it if it was in curing, treating mitigating, preventing, or diagnosing something associated with the word disease. So can you clean up what I just said? 
Well, yes, what you said is a good summary, and, and uh, the, the, the story on uh, the Quaker Oats issue is that uh, uh, Congress then got very uh, agitated. Lots of things went on in the, in the, late, uh, in the late 80s, and uh, it culminated in a, a piece of legislation in 1990 that was supposed to correct that problem, <clears throat> and that legislation was the, uh, the Nutrition uh, uh, Educational Labeling Act, NLEA, of uh, 1990. And um, that said, you could, the FDA could no longer say flat out, if you make a health claim for food, that's a law violation. They said, the, the law said, if you have evidence to support the claim, then um, you, were, then you could, you could uh, make the claim. And they used the concept, what they called was significant scientific agreement. And so then the FDA used the significant scientific agreement standard to block claims, and they have systematically blocked claims since 1990. A very small handful of claims have gotten through, and it just so happens that one of them were the ones that connected the uh, Quaker Oats products to the health claims that they had been making. Uh, they had over 20, uh, they, had, they had a couple of dozen, uh, actually more than that, uh, very, very high-class studies that were able to support their claims, and ultimately the FDA approved those claims uh, and said they were all right to be made. And there are a handful of others that are out there. Uh, but the FDA, um, the FDA is um, uh, very, very arrogant and recalcitrant in the way that it handles uh, the issues that have been assigned to it. Uh, there's um, uh, there's just story after story about how they've managed to make problems of that kind. Well, I know, Dawn, you wanted to ask a question of Jim. Yeah, there's a few things that have come up for me as a, a networker in the field over the years that I just think that we have a, a strong network marketing audience and, and they're going to be chomping at the bit either live or or listening to the archives of this, that I have to ask a couple of these pressing questions. And it's so exciting to have you here, James. I can't even tell you. And I wish that I had known you for 25 years of networking with these products because, you know, people get so excited. I mean, right now I have on my desk the, the greatest thing since sliced bread for stress. I have um, a sugar blocker. I have the next best thing for weight loss. I'm drinking my Visalis shake. I mean, like I'm a network marketing magazine because I have friends in every company. And everybody bites their tongue till it bleeds because they can't tell you what the product really does. <laughs> it's, it's such a shame and it's so much, so much frustration for these affiliates. But, you know, I can understand it. Um, one of the things that I know for as a woman who was very big in ephedra-based weight loss and it worked – and it worked beautifully. And then I heard the rumors of why it got taken off the market, why Mahuang, which actually was the one thing that kept all of these obese people, you know, thin. Um, and people have been crying about it for, for almost a decade now that it's been gone. Um, but, but you still see it in Sudafed as long as it's, it's mixed with glyphenicin. And you hear these rumors. We've heard rumors. Um, that well, that's because they were making some form of illicit narcotic from the product, or or something. Um, can you tell us what happened to Ephedra, our beautiful well, love think, lost Ephedra? Yeah, I think in part we don't actually completely know for sure, uh, but you've got pretty much the pieces of the story and what you said. Uh, and um, there are a number of things about it that I think are are quite important, and they do un underscore the point I'm making about FDA. First of mm -hmm. all, uh, ephedra it was, has been used for thousands of, you know, you know, hundreds of years, probably thousands of years as a part of traditional Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the, um, uh, in fact, uh, when the issue went to the uh, federal district court uh, in Utah, uh, the federal district court ruled that the FDA could not ban it uh, below a certain amount. And uh, <clears throat> and um, that case was overturned by the appeals court. So that whether or not uh, ephedra is in the market is purely and simply uh, who you have as judge on the bench. It's not really uh, any kind of clear statement of uh, a fundamental fact. Hmm. Now, what appears to have happened is that some companies did, in fact, put amphetamines in their products, in their ephedra products, and got quite a quick, a quick kick 
and uh, that made quite a market for some uh, particular brands. And um, to underscore uh, my point about the FDA, I am totally supportive of the FDA make, taking forcing an, an adulterant out of a product. Mm-hmm. They should have said the problem here is people are putting uh, controlled substances into um, into the product, and that's that's illegal. They should not have banned the product, mm-hmm. uh, and they've done the same thing on several other products that where they they have a problem going on with a contaminant of some kind, and instead of dealing with the contamination problem, they just ban the product, and uh, that is not in the consumer's interest. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I I'm certainly sympathetic with the uh, with the FDA's police that it's harder to do their job than to do this job that they're doing. But uh, it doesn't still make any sense to me why they do that. Uh, the job is to keep contaminants out of useful products. There is no doubt that ephedra was useful at, uh, the, at the levels that it's used in uh, Chinese medicine. No doubt. No doubt at all. And we're one of the companies, countries in the world that doesn't allow it now. Many, many others do. Right, right. Okay, and so another one that's very close to my heart is the, the new electronic cigarette industry. Um, I went from two packs of tobacco cigarettes a day to my electronic cigarettes. Now, I had no intention of quitting smoking because I was very committed to nicotine addiction. Um, So I'm okay because I didn't actually quit smoking officially. But if I came out and said that I quit smoking because I moved to electronic cigarettes, then I would be in violation somehow. And I have a very difficult time understanding that. Do you know a whole lot about the electronic cigarette um, reality? I don't know very much about it. I've had some uh, some questions about it. And, and one of the points that I want to make here in general is that I believe that even uh, even in a situation like that, there are arguments that can be made that can walk people through the um, the maze of uh, information rules and uh, be able to come up with a positive statement about the values of a product. You know, it could be electric cigarettes or it could be some of these dietary supplements, uh, other things that can meet, can pass muster with the uh, regulators. Uh, but that's something that requires a very uh, a specific way of walking through it by somebody who is, in this case, it would have to be someone who's a seller. Uh, we've often gone to the agency and made arguments from the consumer point of view and said, why are you doing X, Y, or Z? And, uh, you know, we, we, we had a situation where we got about 250,000 emails to the FDA to block them from saying that pregnancy and other uh, uh, conditions of life were diseases so that you could ban uh, any statements that a vitamin was good for pregnancy or menopause or uh, aging. Um, they uh, And that, that 250,000 uh, uh, comments to them caused them to withdraw their regulation, <laughs> their come, proposed come, regulation. Can, can, we, can, wow. can we come back to that uh, little thing that you just said, that pregnancy might be considered the, the a disease? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> well, we, defeat, we defeated that in 1999, I believe it was. Uh, you know, the whole community just went went crazy and uh, we said that we were going to sue them if they tried to do it and and it was it's a it's a very arcane legal argument because Congress passed a law saying uh, a disease is what the FDA has defined it as and uh our our point was that that meant that what the FDA said a disease was when the law was passed which is 1994 was uh the what what a disease was but the FDA said no no the legislation says we get the right to define what a disease was and so we had a big knockdown, drag-out battle in public, uh, you know, as I say, 250,000 letters, lots of public meetings, and uh, ultimately, uh, and we said we would, Citizens for Health said they would sue them, uh, and uh, they, were just, they had just lost a big case, and uh, so they withdrew their regulation. But it gives you a sense of the mentality that you're dealing with when you deal with these bureaucrats. And again, it's why I think that the final outcome of this should be that uh, any claim that uh, a dietary supplement cures, treats, mitigates, uh, prevents, or diagnoses a disease should be considered a matter of opinion. Mm-hmm. And you said 1999. You didn't mean like 1989, that they were talking about the... No, I'm talking 1999. 
Wow. Now, are you personally going for that to be changed, um, for, for this to not be considered a drug but a matter of opinion? Are you actually well, in the process of this? Well, we're, we're, I'm trying to build a coalition to, to go after that. We always put it in our arguments uh, in any cases that we have, um, and, and we're not making much headway with the regulators, and we would like to get these this before the courts. But what we'd really like to do is just organize a um, – uh, a group that would be a kind of an umbrella group that could go forward and and wage this battle, and we would want to wage it by having every there there are several others i mean that 's one and uh, we would like every single case that comes up to make a set of arguments that um, argue why they should not be preventing consumers from having access to these in, this information and these products and mm-hmm. then we would like to have that done you know we 'd like to have it done at the court and regulatory level. And we'd like to have it be carried out at the um, at the legislative level, so that we could go to uh, both, you know, the state and uh, federal legislation. Uh, FDA, uh, when I mentioned the uh, acupuncture needle situation, uh, part of the reason that the FDA could not continue to keep acupuncture needles illegal was that um, 42 states had legalized acupuncture in their states. And so here's the federal government saying acupuncture needles are illegal, and 42 states have specifically created a system for recognizing acupuncture. Uh, that They cited that fact in, as one of the reasons that they switched their position on the legality of acupuncture needles. Uh, so what I'd like to do is mount those kinds of campaigns behind several issues. One of them is that a claim about health care, you know, that this food can cure this disease is a matter of opinion and therefore protected by the First Amendment and anybody can make it. Uh, secondly, uh, they have this statement that uh, you need to have, um, you need to prove the efficacy of a drug. Well, in the diet- dietary supplement world, we want to make it clear dietary supplements are not words, I'm sorry, are not drugs, mm-hmm. and that um, when it said uh, efficacy, what they said was you need to establish efficacy with substantial evidence. Substantial evidence is a very, very low standard, and it was meant mm-hmm. to be it was meant to be an anti-fraud piece. If you have zero evidence, then you should be punished mm-hmm. for a claim. If you have substantial evidence, i.e., more than a scintilla, mm-hmm. then you should be allowed to move it into this category of of a protected opinion. That's the direction that we want to take that. Uh, you know that battle, uh, and there are several other pieces that could be a very you know carefully done and worked on, and and uh, filing the right petitions and uh, bringing the right legal actions in court and bringing the right legislation. Uh, you could move uh, this along over the next few years if and, if there were people that wanted to do that. And, okay, and well, now, we're going to talk wait, about we that. We need him the... to tell them where to do that, and no, I want will. you to do that before your next break too. So, Jim, do they just go to citizens dot org? Go to go to citizens dot org and uh, and uh, you can you can read what we're doing. We do have a uh, a defense fund there, but the project I'm talking about, we would like to get people to volunteer, want to help us set it up and make it happen. All right, we'll put something. But they can come to citizens and, and put money into the uh, make donations to the uh, the defense fund that we have there. But uh, what I'm talking about is a more ambitious campaign than even that. And we're okay. going to talk about that on the other side. And that's citizens dot org. Got it. So Alex or Axel go spin some records. Savage Smokes is a new site on the scene dedicated to the trending electronic cigarette industry. If you are looking into e-cigs as an alternative to tobacco and have been disappointed by the ones you picked up at the gas station or you kept your money in your pocket because you didn't know which one to buy, head to SavageSmokes.com for honest and up-to-date electronic cigarette reviews on most e-cigs you see on the shelves. And I think we're back. I think we are back. I think we're back. <laughs> You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with host Don Wright the Bronx. And- <laughs> it's I think we messed days. that one up. We're, we've been pretty good so far, with the with with the exception of uh, with the, the exception of that last commercial break. He's but- letting us know we've got internet lag going on tonight. Oh, so so oh, that's what's going on. We're sitting here waiting, and the internet is not as quick as we are. And that hey, you know, sometimes we're quick, Pete. 
technology works some of the time, and that means sometimes <laughs> it's not working too. Well, I do. Um, we want to talk. I want to really give some focus to the people listening in because I don't want anybody to think that sometimes they're helpless individually in this situation. So I know that, Jim, you've been pushing the organization and promoting the organization do the wonderful things for a really long time. And people can go to your website and all that, Dawn, and you uh, talk about your website again. But moving forward, there's something that we can do collectively to make a difference, and that would be for all of the people that are listening in that either take or use or sell or promote a network marketing product that deals with something related to health and nutrition to let your companies be aware that there's some movement being formed that's trying to organize and structure something with real money behind it, with real people behind it that can help fight for us as individuals. So, Jim, this next segment, I want to give you the opportunity to explain, you know, where do they go to find us some information about you, and then where would they go to have their corporate owners learn about the stuff that you're doing? Because there's a lot of corporate owners that I know would easily say, you know what, we want to write you a check because we want somebody fighting for these things, and we can't personally do it itself, but we want to maybe help, you know, fund something like this. And there's lots of your companies that would rally behind you if you were the ones as individuals saying, hey, can you help get involved in this? We heard Jim. We know his cause is pure. He's trying to do things the right way and um, and be able to help our industry collectively. Because there's literally hundreds of thousands, millions, maybe even a few million people that we have reached with right from the people that are either listening to this show or the people that they know listening to the show and the company owners. So back to you on that one, um, Jim. Tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you have plans. Well, first of all, Citizens for Health is the organization. It's uh, called it's citizens.org, and uh, that's citizens with an S.org. Um, we have uh, about 160,000 people who are uh, listed in our email activist list, and uh, we have a broader reach than that on, on various issues. Um, we uh, have been involved in a wide range of issues. I've talked about some of them here. Um, and you can go there and read about some of the things that we're doing. Um, and then specifically, we do have um, uh, the idea of creating a project, kind of an umbrella project for uh, people who are uh, involved in any kind of dietary supplement uh, uh, promotion uh, because of the whole issue of health claims. And then uh, we are very uh, interested in the people who are in the multi-level marketing world because they kind of get a double blow because the FTC has very draconian and restrictive rules around um, uh, multi-level marketing. And uh, what we are interested in doing is making the, F making the FDA and the FTC and regulators in general much more discerning in the way they apply their regulations so that they are advancing the consumer interests both by getting rid of bad stuff and allowing the promotion of good stuff. Um, and uh, we're hoping that in the near future uh, we will be able to have uh, some meetings with some of the key people from the multi-level marketing world to uh, talk about an umbrella of this kind uh, and begin to get it to moving. Um, any uh, money that we can get raised into the uh, uh, Citizens for Health Defense Fund uh, we can use to, to apply to pulling that meeting together and getting those people organized. And as you say, Peter, we've had um, some substantial inquiries about how to do this, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, creating something that could actually have quite a major impact. And when I started out in 1968 uh, with Nader, the uh, idea of organic food was, was laughed at and was considered to be uh, uh, a silly uh, quackery of some kind. Uh, as I told you, that uh, the FTC wanted to ban those uh, <clears throat> ban um, those words, natural, organic, and health food, and it was '71 when they made uh, acupuncture needles illegal. And uh, all during that period, uh, you could not connect food and health uh, in a um, uh, in a sentence uh, on, a on a on a can of food or a box of food. And all of those things started out uh, being on the negative side of the social ledger. And then gradually, over the next several years, each one of them moved along and became uh, mainstream, integrated, and a part of what we're allowed to do every day. 
and I am saying that if we can begin to launch now, or when we can launch now, uh, the beginnings of a campaign to lay the foundation, lay the groundwork, uh, and do the writing and uh, do the speaking and uh, and work with the, our members of Congress and senators and state legislators, if we can lay a plan for that starting now, we would be able within the next few years to change the entire atmosphere within which this debate goes on. Now, you would think that with an organization that's been around for a real long time, the FDA specifically, that, you know, a novice would probably think that our foods should be good for us by now because of all the power and the legislation and all the influence that they might have. But yet, every time you turn around, you hear about artificial sweeteners, you hear about GMOs, you hear about this and all the other types of things, and we find that we're probably sicker as a nation than ever before in the history of recorded man. And then I come back to the concept that I heard from those people that told me about dietary supplements that, you know, if you help the body with the nutrients and the materials that it needs, it can kind of heal itself. How in the world do we get so far apart? Well, the um, uh, the uh, let, let me let me say one thing now, and that is that we're having such a good and fulsome conversation. We should probably continue this if you wanted to do it again next week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what I was going to say about your point there is that uh, first of all, there's a whole school of political scientists who have analyzed the regulatory uh, structure of our society, and they argue that uh, regulatory agencies are born and then gradually, within a fairly fairly early period of time, become captured by the industries that are going to regulate them, that, that, that they are going to regulate. Uh, I believe, from my observation, that they're actually born captured. Uh, a, um, a, an agency does not come into being to regulate the food supply until the food de- manufacturers desire it, and that's, in fact, specifically what happened. The food manufacturers opposed the Food and Drug Act from uh, 1887 until 1906. They switched their position in 1906, and it passed. Um, the, these, these agencies are, are meant to take the uh, issues of food safety, for example, out of the public eye, put them into a, uh, into a, a building here in Washington that uh, the public hardly ever sees, and uh, the issues go over there, and then the members of Congress say, well, they're the experts, you write to your member of Congress with a question about food, and they send that question over to the FDA. I mean, if you write in and say, the FDA is not regulating the food the way I think it should, could you um, please check into it? They send that letter to the FDA for an answer. And then the FDA writes an answer, and then the congressperson says, the FDA says they are regulating the food really well, and you should be very comfortable. It shouldn't be a problem. And it's all designed to insulate uh, the marketplace from any kind of real uh, energy or activity that has to do with products. Uh, now, you know, by, by preserving the word organic, we were able, and it was actually organic natural health food, we were able to create a niche in the market that has been able to open up some of these debates, and you get something like Whole Foods coming along, and it's there. It wouldn't exist, really, uh, if it weren't for the uh, all the people who had put all the energy into fighting for natural, organic, and health food, uh, starting back there in the, in the late 60s and early 70s, and then going on all the way up until until now, for that matter. Um, the, the fights are what makes it happen, and, and the, agency, the agencies go off track. A rhetoric is created for why they should be passed. That rhetoric is usually uh, a kind of a, a gloss on a pill that's been organized by the industry that wants to be regulated, and uh, they go forward and use the government to protect them and, uh, and undermine the interests both of, uh, of consumers and, and small businesses who are really a kind of consumer. And, uh, and what you have in the multi-level marketing world is just a massive number of new small businesses. They're small businesses, and they are just treated uh, badly by the regulators and by the government. They do not have the interests of the people in the small businesses as their primary uh, interest. They, um, they actually make rules and, and, uh, and, and, and enforce regulations that uh, undermine the ability of individuals to actually create a business and move forward. So I guess if you're going to take personal responsibility for the well-being of yourself and the people that are important to you, if you're not learning about these things, which aren't necessarily pleasant, I mean, this is like finding out that Santa Claus doesn't exist, so I don't want to blow it for anybody, but just imagine that that was the case, then you'd probably be saying to yourself, wow, I didn't know all of this stuff was happening. As in, for instance, 
where does the FDA get their funding? Like somebody has to pay these people and pay the rent on the buildings and things like that. Who? Where's most of the funding? Well, oddly enough, from? oddly enough, on the drug regulation side, about three fourths of the FDA's uh, money that they use to pay the people that uh, review the applications for the drug industry comes from the drug industry. Um, and that was a, a clever, uh, and I mean that ironically, a piece of legislation by uh, Congressman Waxman, who thought that the idea of uh, having the industry pay the FDA to do reviews was a great idea. Uh, why that money shouldn't just go into the tax funds and then the FDA be given a budget wasn't at all made clear. But what's interesting is uh, we have some uh, whistleblowers inside the agency, uh, one of whom told me that uh, – uh, he was called in. He was he was actually sitting on three drugs that had been uh, been proposed for approval that he thought did not meet the standards. He was called in by his boss and told, "You're holding up these three drugs. Look out there to all those people working there. Do you understand? If these drugs aren't approved, you're endangering their salary." That to me was like an example of the real serious problems that we have in our regulatory structure. So the people. The agency itself is funded by the drug companies. Or that is, that is with, with regard no, with regard to reviewing applications for new drugs. Now, what's interesting, by the way, um, uh, FDA does no studies on these drugs or on foods, for that matter. Uh, if a food additive or a drug is being proposed for um, for use, uh, the the company does all the research, and uh, and now more and more evidence is coming out that they hide. Uh, all the research that is negative. Uh, there was a nice piece in the New York Times about a week ago in which they talked about how the companies uh, do studies, and then they, they, even though it's illegal, they only let the studies that are positive go forward to the FDA. They and hide the this, other studies. Isn't this similar to um, Monsanto Corporation and their study with aspartame? Absolutely. Yeah, I was floored when I heard that, and so many people got. There are still getting sick to this day. Yeah, it's a. It's a. Uh, that was an issue I was very much involved in, and um, and we a lot of battles that went on around that, uh, and we kept it off the market for eleven years. But what was interesting when it got on the market, it only got on the market because Donald Rumsfeld, who was the president of the company making aspartame, uh, was able to. Um, uh, basically was on the transition team for Reagan and was able to get somebody appointed to the FDA commissioner's job who overturned the FDA's public board of inquiry that said it should not be marketed. Uh, that's, what, that's what we have. We have a, uh, the, issue, the decisions that are made about our food supply are all political. Um, oh well, who's got the power and the money? That's what decision is made. Aspartame's on the market because Donald Rumsfeld had political clout. And he said as much. He said, I will call in all of my uh, markers in Washington to get this product on the market. And then he got a $12 million bonus for succeeding at that. And that was in 19, that was in 1984 dollars. Wow. So we, you know, Jim, we'd love to have you, uh, someone of your background, someone with your level of experience, someone with your level of expertise and passion for helping everyone. Um, associated with health and wellness, it would really be nice to have you back. So if I'm I happy know, to come back next week. I know you're oh. traveling and you're doing different things, and we're trying to arrange for you maybe to come to one of the conventions I'm actively involved in as well. But I am so glad that we met. I, and I have to give um, Dr. Reg McDaniel um, and our friend Roger Young. Roger runs a company called My Life International. This is where it all got started from the relationship that you and I now have. Roger Young runs a small company um, started off as Free Food to Go, now is called My Life International. And as a result of the really hard work we've been doing, he put us in front of Jim Iliak, uh, who put us in front of you, who put us in front of Reg McDaniel. And that's kind of like how these things work. So from the grassroots to now, we're going to have you back. And uh, I know we're running across a hard break, and Axel has given me the the the, uh, the signal that we have to get our started with our commercial break. But if you can come back, Jim, we'll arrange it off the uh, off the clock. Okay, great, and I really appreciate being on, and I look forward to working on this uh, with you guys as much as we can. Yep. Awesome. Oh, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Don. I really appreciate you, it. You too. Bye, Jim. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. At The Dash, we know that your time is precious, and your choosing to spend it with us means a lot. To get reminders for our live shows that happen every Monday through Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 
click follow on the top of any show. Also, subscribe to our blog for articles, inspirations, and great products and services for your ever-growing business at thedashradio.com. For upcoming mobile experience, text DASH to 37404. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Again, thanks for spending some of your Dash with us. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.